today we are kicking off a brand new series. Uh, each fall, we typically will dive into some uh, semblance of a relationship series because we all are in relationships, and relationships greatly impact our life. And I've entitled this series "Relation Slips." Relation slips. Uh, because we all have encountered problems in relationships. If you are sitting next to that problem this morning, just look straight ahead. Come on, somebody. Um, but right, relationships can be hard. Like, they, they can be difficult. They can be challenging. Whether it's you're in a married relationship, you're single and dating, or your friendships, or work relationships, um, or, or with family. Like, relationships can be hard. And it's intriguing that relationships have such an influence over our life. But yet, when it comes to our formal education process, you know, we will go through years of training for our vocation. Uh, but perhaps even more influential on our life than what we do for work is those we live with and those we do life with. Uh, but we receive very little training when it comes to our relationships. And, and here's the hope of this series. It's to be, look to God's word because God's word has a lot to say about our relationships. Uh, to give you some practical help, on how can we uh, really experience God's best, whether we are, again, we're single, uh, our friendships or our married relationships, our workplace relationships. I believe each week of these ser this series will have relevance to you regardless of what uh, age or stage or season relationally that you are in. Uh, but let's first, let's pray before we dive in. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Uh, we pray that as we open it up today, Lord, that you, uh, we know you're going to speak to us. Uh, and we just ask God, we just even posture our hearts and our minds to receive for what you have for us today. It's in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Today I want to talk about a particular relationship that every one of us have in this room. And that is our friendships. Our friendships. In fact, I've entitled today's message, Fulfilling Friendships, Fulfilling Friendships. And uh, I think it's important that we talk about this. Uh, I remember I saw a, um, I thought it was quite funny, um, it even uh, really related to an article I read this year. They said, there was an article I read recently that actually said, if you have felt this, let me just affirm it in you, they've actually found that after the age of 21, they've, these are psychological researchers have found that it actually becomes more and more difficult to, to develop and maintain friendships. Uh, and maybe you felt that before. And they said the reason is because our responsibilities increase and uh, if you have family, that increases and work responsibilities usually increase and it becomes harder to find the time to invest in relationships. And here's what I'm gonna say off the bat. I said this last week, but if, if um, you're gonna have a hard time finding time for friendships. And here's what I have found. I have to make time for friendships. Because, I, you know, if, if you are in this room, probably most of you in this room, uh, you probably have a well, uh, a pretty full schedule. You're probably not wondering, man, what am I going to do tomorrow, right? You're probably like, how am I going to sleep tomorrow, right? Where am I going to eat tomorrow? And I've learned with, when it comes to our friendships, we usually can't find time. We've got to make the time. And it becomes harder, I think, two different seasons of life. But it's so important. In fact, research supports this. In 2018, Cigna Health did this massive study, and they found that three out of five Americans report feeling some degree of loneliness. 
They did a longitudinal study from 2018, sorry, 2019 to 2022 this year, and they looked at pre and post pandemic and the effect of the pandemic. And here's what they found, probably not surprising. They did a meta-analysis of 34 studies, and they found that actually loneliness across the United States increased by 5%. Uh, that, that, that we became more lonely through this pandemic, which is not surprising given the circumstances we were facing. Now, loneliness is, is important. And maybe you're here this morning, and I want you to just feel affirmed if you felt this. You're not the only one. I've been there before personally. And here's why it's important that we talk about how to develop healthy relationships and friendships. Because at BYU in 2015, they did this study in the neuroscience and psychology department. And they actually found that loneliness, catch this, is as bad for your physical health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That actually we were not designed to be isolated and lonely. God created us for community. Can I get an amen? amen. To, to be known and to know other people. So I wanna to talk today, not only how we can develop healthy friendships, maybe you're one of the three out of five that feels lonely, feels, uh, even in, a, in an area like the Washington area, a concept I heard when I moved here was crowded loneliness. You can be surrounded by people, but no one really knows you, like the 100% true you, everything about you. Uh, and it's important that we develop those, those relationships. And I would even take it one step further especially if you're a follower of Christ, that we are to develop relationships with other Christian friends, other friends who can encourage us in our faith, help us in our walk with God. So I wanna to talk today from this angle of not necessarily how do we, well, in some degrees it is, obtain those friendships. But here's what I believe. If we want to have healthy God-first friendships, we must first be a healthy God-first friend. Because those who are friendly end up finding themselves finding friendships. So I'm gonna to look today in the passage of scripture. It's the book of Ruth. And I'm gonna look at the life of Ruth in particular. Because Ruth is really, uh, this book is powerful because she is um, honestly a beautiful depiction of what a godly friend uh, looks like. And we even see this, and here's something I want to submit to you. Here's why it's so important that you're intentional about the relationships you, you form. Because in fact, even Proverbs 12 talks about how the righteous um, are very intentional about the relationships they choose. The Proverbs also says this, if you walk with the wise, you become wise. You know, the who you, you surround yourself with, who you build relationships with influences you. And, and we need to be intentional about how we do that. And Ruth, again, shows us how we can engage and be a, a God-first, healthy friend to other people. So Ruth chapter one, we're gonna look across the whole book, um, but I'm gonna start in Ruth chapter one. We're gonna look at verse eight through 12, uh, and then 15 through 19. If you have your Bibles, if not, we'll have them on the screen. It says this, um, what a, to give you context, Ruth was a Moabite woman married to uh, Naomi's um, son. Uh, and so her son, uh, Orpha, was another one of her uh, daughters-in-law. They both married her uh, Naomi's sons, and both her sons, so Ruth's husband dies. 
So she, they're, they're now a widow. And to give, give context, culturally and socially and economically, widows were the most disadvantaged group in that culture at that time. So Naomi decides to go from Moab back to Bethlehem, where she's from. And she's, she's essentially telling uh, not, uh, Ruth and, and Orpha to like, please leave me. I can't provide for you another husband. I'm of no value to you. Uh, please go somewhere else. So it says this in verse 8. That Naomi said to them, go back, each of you, to your mother's home, to Moab. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed him goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I am going to have, I'm not going to have any more sons. Who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to the two sons, would you wait until they grew up? Verse 15. Look, said Naomi, she's now speaking to Ruth because Orpha said, okay, I'm going to go find myself a husband. She says, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Do, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with, with me, be it ever so severely, even, if even death separates you and me. And then when Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. I want to look at three qualities that Ruth demonstrates. I think it's important for us in order to be a healthy God-first friend, to have healthy God-first friendships. We must first be committed. Committed. We must have commitments. It says here that Ruth, when, when Naomi was telling her to go, Ruth was like, listen, I'm not leaving. Wherever you go, I'm going to go. If you stay, I'm going to stay. Your people or my people. Ruth, Ruth had this sense of commitment and loyalty. And you know, it's intriguing because culturally, you know, some sociological researchers will say that, you know, commitment as a societal value is decreasing. But there's something still attractive about commitment, would you agree? It's like when you see someone married over 50 years or you, you see someone who's been together for a while, there's something about that that's like attractive, or you find out someone's been a friend for 20 years, there's something about that that's, that's admirable because there's something on the inside of us because listen, we were actually created to be in committed relationship. But the reason oftentimes it's admirable but we don't always experience it personally. How many of you know commitment is hard? <laughs> I even think, come on, the, the NFL season just started and uh, I am committed to my beloved Baltimore Ravens. And, uh, you know, anybody else you've experienced this, if you're a committed fan, um, now, if you are a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan and you were once a New England Patriots fan, this excludes you, okay? Um, no, like, it, it, you know, if you're a committed fan, if you're a Washington Commander fan, you are committed. Respect, okay? But, you know, when you have a commitment to your favorite team, anybody else, you realize this? Like, there are some seasons, even some Sundays, like, you lose your voice cheering for them, and then there are some Sundays you pull out your hair grieving for them, right? 
Like the ups and downs. And as a, as a Baltimore Ravens fan now, for, since, they, since they came back to Baltimore, a team came back to Baltimore, I've been a fan. Like, but, but being there through the commitments, it, it makes the winning seasons all the more enjoyable because I remember the four and 12 season. That when you go through life in the ups and downs, and here's what I think sometimes we, we miss if we don't commit ourselves in any relationship. We miss the beauty of the highs and lows, the peaks and the valleys. And can I tell you, it's the lows of life, the, the valleys of life that make you appreciate the mountaintop moments of life. And there's something to commitment. The Bible says this, those who plant themselves in the house of God will flourish in all of life. There's a flourishing that takes place in your life when you learn to commit yourself and you learn to plant yourself. If you think about it, the Bible uses an agrarian metaphor. And if you have a plant and you put a plant in soil, if you continually uh, pull that plant up by its roots and replant it. That plant will never have the ability to absorb the nutrients and the minerals of the soil it was in. So it never actually gets any of the benefit of being planted. In fact, eventually, if you keep repotting plants, plants will die. But if you plant your, put a plant in soil and you let it stay in that soil, its roots will grow deeper, and the minerals and nutrients of that soil will begin to be absorbed into that plant. I believe this, and I submit this to you. In your relationships, could it be perhaps, and I think it's a heart decision even more than behavioral, but behavior follows a heart decision, that sometimes you miss out on the fullness of what God has for you in a relationship because your heart's not committed to the relationship. Can I even submit to you, I know it's the beginning of fall, man, commit yourself to the local church. Plant yourself. Say, I'm gonna join a group. I'm gonna come. We have what we call next steps happening today where you can find out how to get planted in the church. But I'm gonna be a part. I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna give. I'm gonna plant myself and be involved. Here's why. So you can experience the benefits of the nutrients and the minerals and the blessings and the flourishing of the soil you find yourself in. Can I get an amen? In fact, Acts 2.42, it says this, the, the, the disciples devoted themselves to fellowship. That word devoted literally means to persevere. Do you know what that means? That means sometimes they showed up even when they didn't want to. It, it, it means, it means they, they showed love to each other, but they didn't feel like it. Come on, anybody else, you ever get up in the morning, you just don't feel like being loving, come on. <laughs> you don't feel like serving anybody. You tell your kids, make your own breakfast. <laughs> your spouse is like, they're one years old, honey. You know, it's, right? You have those days. But to be devoted means I'm, I'm not going to allow my feelings to lead. I'm going to allow my faith to lead and my feelings follow. I'm going to be devoted. I'm going to do the right things even when I don't, I don't feel like it. Paul told the church in Rome, be devoted to one another in love. That word love is the word phileo. It means a familial love. It means a, a love like a family. It means to be committed to each other as, as the body of Christ, to fellow Christians, as you would a family. Come on, you have some family that you show up to their birthday parties and you don't even like them. Come on, somebody. You know that, right? But they're family. You do that, right? Paul says the family of God operates in the same way. Like we're devoted. It's not conditional upon what we feel. 
It's a decision we make in our spirit to be devoted, to be committed. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer speaking about community. Here's why I think commitment is hard. Commitment is hard because community is messy. It really is. And I think we have to acknowledge something. We are culturally conditioned for comfort. If you think about it, especially now in 2022. I often think about this with my children. My children do not know the pain of having to watch commercials during their favorite show. <laughs> Anybody else, you're old enough to remember that? Come on, somebody. Like, what, what are you gonna watch on TV? Whatever's on TV. Come on. <laughs> right? That's why in middle school, I came home early and all that was on was soap operas. So your boy watched soap operas. I'm just like, I just wanna watch TV, right? <laughs> and then you had to watch the commercials. My kids see a commercial, they're like, what is this? <laughs> I sometimes make them watch commercials just to make them feel the pain I felt as a child. <laughs> or when they, they get on the TV and it's like midway through a show, Dad, it's midway through a show. I know, suck it up and deal with it, right? You know, feel this pain. When they get older, I'm gonna also get them dial up internet. Come on, somebody. <laughs> hey, man, it's about discipleship and formation. We are culturally conditioned for comfort. You can stream an entire season like that with no commercials. Come on, you can have groceries delivered to your door. You can order ahead. I haven't waited in line at Starbucks in three years. Come on, somebody. Like, like we are culturally conditioned for comfort. And, and I love all of those things. There's nothing wrong with any of those things. I thank God for them. However, we must acknowledge we are culturally conditioned for comfort, which runs contrary to what actually happens in community. Because community at times will make you uncomfortable. You, you might have someone that you're in relationship or friendship with. Have you ever had someone disappoint you? Have you ever had someone say something that offended you? You, you might encounter people with different perspectives and different thoughts and uh, different social and political perspectives. And sometimes that may run contrary to the way we are conditioned in 2022 in our Western culture. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the person who loves their dream of community will destroy community. But the person who loves those around them will create community. And he, here's another mistake I've, I've seen people make in community, is we have unrealistic expectations about people. Can I help free somebody up today? The Bible says God will never leave you or forsake you. But people may leave you. The, the, the Bible says, listen, you call upon God, he's right there for you. But if you call me during dinner, I'm not gonna be right there for you. Come on, somebody. I think sometimes if we're not careful in church, we can expect someone to act perfect. But can I tell you what the church is? The church is full of imperfect people worshiping a perfect God. And listen, the moment you find a perfect church, please leave it. You will ruin it. Come on, somebody. Like, get away from it. You're about to blow the thing up. Listen, don't, don't conjure up this dream of community that's not real. Just love people. Love them in their mess. Love them in their dysfunction. Love them when they offend you. Forgive them. You know what we do as Christians? You offend me, I forgive you. Like, like we love. We just love. We serve. We, we're different. That we have this sense of, man, that I, I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm here. One last thing about commitment. When you commit to community, 
have the posture of Proverbs 11.25. It says this, the generous will prosper, but those who refresh others, they themselves will be refreshed. Here's another mistake I see people make when it comes to friendships or community. Is we get into relationship, we join a church for what they can do for me. And listen, you need to, whatever your, your needs are, it's important you do think about that. Like if you're like, hey, I want certain things, there's nothing wrong with that. But if that's your only focus, you will end up unfulfilled. Right. The Bible says if you want encouragement, encourage someone else. If you want refreshment, refresh somebody else. There's something about it. This is the way God's, Jesus said this, it's more blessed to give than to receive. So if you want the most out of a local church, can I tell you the most out of Catalyst Church? You get involved and serve other people. You want the most out of your community group? Do not just show up wanting someone to encourage you. Go in there and say, God, help me tonight to encourage someone else. Don't just come to church saying, man, I hope somebody prays for me. No, come to church saying, God, open up a door for me to pray for somebody else. Here's what you're going to find. When you refresh others, you yourself will be refreshed. You got to have commitment. Number two is you got to care. You got to care. Ruth was there for Naomi in a very low season of life. Some say that, that, that Naomi was dealing with a low-grade depression. And understandable. She lost her husband and her two sons. I can't imagine that level of grief. But Ruth wasn't committed to Naomi for what Naomi could do for her. She was there for her in a season that was difficult. You know, it makes me think about what the Bible says when it comes to true friends or true spiritual family. It says a friend, Proverbs 17, 17, loves at all times and a brother is born for a time of adversity. Can I encourage you? Do for others in their low season of life what you would want done for you. Like be there for other people. Paul said this in Romans 12. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I had a pastor tell me years ago, he said, Jeremy, and I think it's a great principle. He says, be there for people in their highs and be there in their lows. Be there for them when they lose a loved one and be there for them when they have a baby. Be there for them when a relationship ends. Be there for them when they get married. Be there for them in a hard season at work. Be there for them in a promotion. Be there for them in their highs and lows. And then in chapter two, I wanna point this out. This is intriguing about Ruth. It says this, that Ruth the Moabite says to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain. Behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. So she, she says, hey, can I go get the leftover grain? Here's this tells us. So Ruth was a Moabite woman. Now as a Moabite, you were not raised to know the Mosaic law. That was for uh, Hebrews. But here is Ruth who married a Hebrew, whose mother-in-law is a Hebrew. But she knew the Mosaic law. Here's why. She said, I want to go pick up the leftover grain. Here's why that's important. The Mosaic law stated this, that if you owned a field, you would leave the edges of your field, you would leave that grain unpicked for the socially and economically vulnerable in your community. Uh, and widows were the most vulnerable in a community. So she knew, she said, I'm going to go pick up the leftover grain. She knew the Mosaic law. She put herself in Naomi's shoes. Have you ever had this moment before where someone you were talking to, like you just felt they put themselves in your shoes? 
You ever had this moment? I had this recently where I was talking to somebody and I was sharing like a hard situation I dealt with. And all they said was this, that must have been hard. I was like, it was, it was hard, you know? Have you had those moments where you felt like someone just felt what you felt? Can I tell you, one of the, one of the greatest ways you can love somebody is to feel what they feel. Put yourself in their shoes. Peter said this in 1 Peter 3, 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind and sympathy. That word sympathy means to feel as an other feels. That means maybe you're married, maybe but put yourself in the shoes of a single person longing to be married. Maybe you're single, you don't have any children. Put yourself in the shoes of a mother of three young kids. Can I tell you, I think it actually would go really well for our culture if we would begin to put ourselves in other people's shoes. We, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't view people as an enemy. We would begin to understand people more. We would be sympathetic as Peter says. And then what happens is, of course, Ruth goes and gets some grain for Naomi. On a side note, it is always the Lord's will to eat bread. Can I get amen? amen. She didn't go pick kale. Come on, somebody. She didn't go get spinach. Grain. Just making that clear. It's the Lord's will for you to have bread this afternoon. If you are on keto, just this afternoon, just have a moment of heaven and earth and bread. Like warm bread too, you know what I'm talking about? Like don't give me that stuff that's days old. Give me the warm bread right out the oven. Sorry. Should have ate more for breakfast. It reminds me of Galatians 6 too. Let's get back to the Bible. Paul says, carry each other's burdens. And this way you fulfill the law of Christ. The law he's referring to is the great commandment. It's to love your Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, and soul. And love your neighbor as yourself. He says, carry your burdens. That means weight. Carry the weight of each other. Have you ever noticed sometimes the weight of life can get a little heavy? Like the weight of raising kids. Can any parents say amen? Come on. <laughs> heavy. The weight of, of being in graduate school, any graduate students or medical students or law students can get heavy. Can I get amen? amen. The, the weight of, of, of dating, the weight of marriage, the weight of your work responsibilities, the weight of being a small business owner, the, the weight of being a high school student, like the weight of life can get heavy sometimes. And, and Paul says we are called to carry each other's weight. It reminds me of my three-year-old, uh, Abigail. She, um, the other day, I brought her home from preschool. And she, they had, the teacher put some extra items in her bag that day. So she goes to pull her book bag out of our car. And, and uh, I'll show you. I have, I have a bag here this morning. And she, um, she's like dragging the bag with her like this. She's like, oh. You know, like she's, she's grunting to like let you know, hey, this is hard for me, dad. Oh, she's grunting. And then she says, Dad, she says, Dad, can you pick up my bag? I said, well, sure enough. I was like, yeah, I'll pick up your bag for you. And I, I picked it up for her. And in that moment when that, this happened, you know what I thought of? I thought of this scripture. Because in this moment, immediately when it was too heavy for her, she said, hey, Dad, can you help me? Dad, I need you to carry my weight. Can I be honest? I thought many times that I struggled with the weight of life all by myself. 
And I don't humble myself enough to tell somebody, hey, can you, can you help me? Hey, can you pray for me? Hey, can you do this for me? Like, the, the weight right now is a little heavy. And I, I think maybe perhaps some of you here this morning, you're struggling with the weight like this. And, and maybe you've been dragging the weight. Maybe for you, it's the weight of being a business owner. Maybe the weight of, of being a parent. Maybe the weight of the tension in your marriage right now. Maybe it's the weight of the loneliness you've been feeling. Maybe it's the weight of the anxiety that keeps you up at night. And sometimes we go through life and we're trying to pull the weight behind us. And we wonder, why am I exhausted? Can I tell you, you were not created. You have not been conditioned to carry the weight by yourself. The way that God's conditioned and created you is to, hey, can somebody else help me? So when you're, when you're pulling the weight that somebody else and you're kind of you're pulling it by yourself, that somebody else can come alongside and say, hey, can you lift this for me? Thank you so much, Pastor New. <laughs> Give it up for Pastor New. <laughs> hey, some of you here this morning, here, here's your application. Write this down. You need to allow somebody else to carry your weight. That can simply mean you telling somebody else, hey, the weight of this has been really heavy. Can you pray for me? Hey, hey the weight of this, hey, would you mind just come watching my kids for two hours so I could have a moment? Uh, hey, hey could, you, could you just, man, just check in on me each week? Listen, can I tell you, allow, knowing, even just knowing somebody else is willing to carry your weight will do something for you. What, knowing that you have, come on, a spotter in life, <laughs> that if things get a little too heavy, right? Don't be that guy at the gym that you, you're trying to hit your PR and no spotter, right? I've seen those guys. Then you're like at the, the bar on your chest, hey, help, help, you know? Like be someone and say, hey, can you, can you help carry the weight? Let me turn it around. Also be someone who is a weightlifter. Man, be somebody. If you can tell somebody's going through a hard time, but you can just tell, maybe they just lost a loved one, check in on them. Uh, let, let them know, hey, how can I pray for you? Hey, can I, can, I, can I send you Uber Eats tonight? Come on, listen. We believe in the ministry of an Uber Eats card here at Catalyst Church. Come on, somebody. You ever got an Uber Eats card and you were like, oh, Lord, thank you, manna from heaven. <laughs> Like, like it, it's just being there, carrying the weight for somebody else. Ecclesiastes 4 says two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. Just on a side note too, the, when you begin to connect into the right community, when, you have, when you're connected to godly community, this is in the Bible here, it says you have a better return for your labor. It actually will help push you forward into your destiny. That, that sometimes we, it's, it's having the right relationships. Can I tell you, I, I've been in church now for a while. I have seen people, like I have seen people meet their spouse in church. I have seen people meet their business partner in church. I have seen people meet someone, an investor, invest in their business. I have seen things happen in the context of community. Can I tell you, because this is the way that God works. Is that your destiny is shaped by your community. Your, your purpose is influenced by your people. And God has this community for you. But then it goes on to say in Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, he says, well, because if one falls down, the other can pick them up. Have you also noticed sometimes life can knock you down? Like you get an unexpected bill, you get knocked down. Or you get a report from the doctor and you get knocked down. Or, or you get maybe a client you're working with, all of a sudden you lose the contract at work and you, you get knocked down. In those moments, you need someone to pick you up. You need someone to encourage you, someone to check in on you. 
A few weeks ago, I was, having a, I was kind of having a discouraging day, a discouraging moment. And I'll never forget, I had someone text me. Just this like encouraging text, a good friend of mine. Man, it picked me up. That word encouragement means to give courage. To, that like, can I encourage you with this? If you think of something kind to say to someone, say it. If you think of, think of something encouraging to text someone, text it. Because perhaps it could be the Holy Spirit putting them on your mind because you do not know the battles they're facing, but God does. Man, that, that day that my friend texted me, he didn't know what I was dealing with. That was just what I needed. Can I, if you think of something, even today, you think of something kind to say to someone, say it. Encouraging to text someone, text it. It's care for each other. So commitment, gotta have commitment. Gotta have care, carry each other's weight. And here's the last one, is candor or honesty, transparency, vulnerability. All of those words we love, right? Ruth three, here's where Naomi, you see Naomi begins to turn a corner. Ruth's commitment and care begins to change Naomi's mental health. It says, one day Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, uh, whose women you have worked is relative of ours, tonight he will be on the winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed on your best clothes. She's trying to help Ruth find uh, a husband. Then Ruth says, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. Ruth gave Naomi the liberty and authority to speak into her life. And can I say this, myself, you, all of us, those online, you need to have someone in your life that you give the liberty and authority to speak the truth and love in your life. We, we need to have someone who can even offer at times, if needed, some course correction. The other day I was driving, uh, Christina was in the car, and I missed a turn. Anybody else, you ever zone out while you're driving? Like you start thinking about something? I know it sounds really scary and bad. That's also usually when I get one of those letters in the mail from Montgomery County Police that says, <laughs> we have you on video. And I said, the devil's a liar. It's not. I am done donating to you, Montgomery County Police. <laughs> DC even asked for greater donations. It's It's unbelievable. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I zoned out and I missed my turn and says, hey, well, you know, hey, hey, you, what are you doing? You missed the turn. And I realized, like, I, I was like completely like this turn I needed to take to get home. I completely missed it. Like I needed her to help me course correct or who knows where we would have ended up. <laughs> and sometimes in life, you need someone close enough who you love and they love you that they can offer some course correction. Let me say this, because this is important, um, that when you offer someone a course correction, you, you speak the truth and love to somebody. The difference between that and criticism is speaking the truth and love builds you up. Criticism tears you down. Speaking the truth and love should come from a very, um, should come from someone who you already know is committed to you and cares for you. Criticism usually comes from someone who barely knows you. Can I help you out? This is for somebody. Just, just ignore that critic, okay? Like that person who doesn't even know you, they're trying to criticize what you're doing. Like sometimes the enemy will use that to, to inhibit you from what you're doing. Now, always think through, is there any truth in this? 
But, but, but when you have somebody who loves you, this is important, and is committed to you, allow them to speak the truth and love to you. The Bible says this, that the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet perfume and incense. It's good for your soul. Proverbs 27, 6, right before that, says wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Listen, you don't want a friend who just affirms and affirms and affirms and affirms. And, yes, you want affirmation. But you also want somebody who loves you enough to offer some course correction. And I had this thought because it uses the term wounds, which at first I was like, that's kind of hard, like a wound. But I had this thought. There are wounds that hurt, and then there are wounds that heal. Think about this. If you have, and I know I'm speaking in a room full of some medical professionals, but if you have an infection in your body, a doctor will make a cut to remove that infection, right? Like that's a wound that heals. Whereas if somebody just cuts you, because <laughs> they're mad at you, <laughs> that's a wound that hurts. Let me say it this way. Criticism is a wound that hurts. A friend speaking the truth in love is a wound that heals. And we all need people who will heal us through their loving wound by speaking the truth and love to us. I remember years ago, I've had several moments in my life where someone loved me enough to speak the truth in love that I'm not, I'm not understating this. It changed my life. This was like more like maybe eight years ago this happened. I had a friend of mine who I worked alongside as a part of a local church and we were uh, away out of town at a conference and they pulled me aside at lunch. They said, hey, do you have a few minutes? This isn't also important. If you have someone close enough that you can speak the truth in love, always do it humbly, gently, and in love. And that's what they did. They said, hey, can I, can I just share something with you? And they spoke, and they basically shared that like some of the, the ways that I was communicating with other people came across very harsh. When I first heard it, I said, devil, you get behind me in the name of Jesus. That's a lie. But as I, as, I, as I processed it, as I sat on it, I knew they were right. Can I tell you, that one moment changed my life because it opened my eyes to something I did not see. Can I help you out this morning? You have a blind side. And God will bring friends into your life to help you with your blind side. And if you do not think you have a blind side, just ask your spouse. Come on, somebody. <laughs> or ask your roommate. Because <laughs> we all have one. But we need someone. So we need to allow someone to be honest with us. And then we need to be honest with somebody else. You know, David wrote this in Psalms 34. He said, my guilt overwhelms me. It's a burden too heavy to bear. My wounds fester and stink because of my foolish sin. I am exhausted and completely crushed. My groans come from an anguished heart. David was crushed by his own sin. Crushed by his imperfections. And here's what the Bible says about, about sin in our life, which we all have it, is that sin will eventually lead to destruction in our life. In other words, sin will suffocate you. It will suffocate your spiritual vitality. It will suffocate your purpose. The enemy wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. And he often does it through sin. 
And David is saying, man, my, my sin is crushing me. And he, God has actually given us the antidote. And it's called confession. Now, theologically speaking, we confess our sin to God for forgiveness. So we are forgiven of our sins, past, present, and future. We have new life in him. Thank you, Jesus. But he created us to confess our sin to each other for healing. The Bible says this in James 5, 16, confess your sin to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Can I tell you, it's important for you to have a relationship in your life where you can confess your struggles. You can confess your sin because the Bible says that is how we experience healing. I remember years ago, uh, I took my kids to Disney World and we were in line. You know how you wait in line for the, for the characters? And we were in line to see Woody and Bo Peep from Toy Story. And about every 20 minutes, a staff member at Disney would say, Bo Peep needs to go check on her sheep. She'll be back shortly. So I went up to like the, 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 the staff member. I was like, okay, hey, adult to adult. What's Bo Peep doing? Like, we all know she ain't got no sheep, okay? <laughs> That's Julie from Orlando, Florida. Okay, that ain't Bo Peep. We all know this. But she wouldn't break character. She's like, Bo Peep goes to check on her sheep. I'm like, all right, fine, okay? <laughs> but that's so good. That's impressive. You're staying in the part. So I looked it up on the internet. Like, what, what are they doing every... And essentially, and not surprisingly, that, that, that central Florida heat gets to them in that big costume. And they go, and they have these like kind of underground areas at Disney where they fully air conditioned, and they take the mask off because they can breathe. It's like they've been sitting in like 100 degrees with like 150% humidity, and, and they go so they can actually take a breath, and then they come back out. And I had this thought that in the same way, like these characters need to take a physical breath, we need to take a spiritual and emotional breath. And the reality is this, in the different environments we find ourselves in, we wear a mask, emotionally and spiritually speaking. And what it can look like is, I have a mask here this morning. This is uh, in honor of my son. He's a big Iron Man fan. So put this mask on. If someone asks you at work, hey, how are you doing? Man, I'm great. You don't talk about the fact that you have so much anxiety you didn't sleep last night. Or someone sees you at church, hey, how are you? I'm too blessed to be stressed. God is good all the time. And you don't tell them about that addiction that you have a lot of shame over that you wish you could get freedom from. Or someone asks you, hey, how, how's you, how are you and your spouse? Man, I mean, you know what? This has been the best year of our life. And you didn't tell them about the blow-up argument you had last night or the three others you had this week. And not everyone can handle your unmasked self. But someone needs to see your unmasked self. Someone that when they ask you, how are you doing? You can say, man, I haven't slept a full night in eight days. I have this crippling anxiety. Can you pray for me? 
And someone asks you, how are you doing? You're like, you know, man, I've been battling a lot of shame. I have this area of sin in my life. Man, I've been trying to get free. I don't want to do it, but I still do it. Man, can you help me? Or someone who says, man, how are you doing? Man, my marriage is not good. Man, could you like maybe talk to us and just support us in this time? Listen, you, you cannot take the mask off with everyone, but you need to have someone. Because the Bible says when you do, that is how you are healed. That's how you become spiritually and emotionally healthy. Like, I, I used to be a psychologist. This is why therapy is so powerful. I still recommend therapy. But part of the reason why therapy is so powerful is because you take the mask off of someone and you let them know and you can breathe. The number one reason we created, we started, we started this church, community groups. The number one reason is not so you would have another book study, not so you would have uh, try a new restaurant, not so you would, you would try a new hiking trail, all those are great. It's so that you would find a friend that you can take the mask off with. They can pray for you and support you and check in on you and be there for you. And can I tell you, when you experience that relationship, it will change your life. If you've experienced that before, can you say amen? If you haven't experienced that before, please feel no condemnation. I was there for years. People knew me. I had a lot of people who knew me, but no one really knew the deep down me, like my struggles, my areas where I was, I knew wasn't right. And when I began to build those relationships, it transformed my life. I love what C.S. Lewis says, friendship is born at the moment when one person says to another, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. You know what you're gonna find when you open about your struggles? When you say, man, I'm battling anxiety, probably someone in your group will say, me too. Can I tell you, there's, there's probably not a more powerful phrase than me too. Like my marriage is not great, me too. I have this issue, me too. And the enemy wants to convince you. Can I tell you this? He'll work this way in church. He will try to convince you as you look around this room right now that no one else has the struggle you have. And he'll heap shame upon you. You can't let anybody know about that. If they will know about that, they'll reject you. And can I tell you what you're going to find here at Catalyst Church? When you share that, you're going to be accepted. You're going to be loved. You're going to be supported. You're going to be cared for. Someone's going to commit themselves to you and say, hey, I'm here for you. So that you can walk in healing and so that you can ultimately fulfill your purpose. That's what happened in Ruth and Naomi's story. Ruth ended up getting married to Boaz. I'm, I'm summarizing briefly. And then she had a son. And that son became Naomi's guardian redeemer, would take care of Naomi in her older age. That Naomi and Ruth found purpose, fulfilled their destiny in community. It's the way God designed a church.